study through the Gospel of Matthew. This is message number 12 in our series entitled Freedom of Speech. So we are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So we all know uh, a number of different kinds of people in our lives. I'm um, thinking in particular here about um, people in relation to their word. Uh, so some people that we know, when they say that they will do something, they will do it. And they don't need to say it multiple times. They don't need to sign anything. They don't need to be asked or reminded. Um, they simply do it. Some people we know that when they say they will do something, we sort of smile and, and nod because we know they're never going to do that. Uh, no matter how much they promise, no matter how much affirmation they give, we know they're not going to do it. Some people, on the other hand, are generally reliable, but maybe sometimes can be prone to forget or maybe are just guilty of just talking too much and not really thinking about sometimes what they're saying and what they're agreeing to do. And then, of course, there's also those people um, who are deceitful and manipulative, and they make promises that they have no intentions whatsoever of keeping, but they make them in the moment in order to get something that they want at that time. Well, as followers of Jesus in this present age, where should we fall in a list like that? And Jesus had something to say about that here in the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at this evening. So in verses 27 to 32, we looked at last time, Jesus gave two contrasts with the Old Covenant law, those contrasts being linked together, particularly around the sin of adultery. And Jesus showed how that lust is a heart problem, that that is where um, it begins, and uh, it leads to adultery in various ways. Citizens of the kingdom in this present age are to be pure of heart, just as he began in the Sermon on the Mount. And so those who are will be blessed and will see God, he said, while lustful adulterers will be cast into hell. So as we come to verses 33 to 37, Jesus now turns to our speech. Um, we recently looked at the letter from James and noted how that he referred to the various sins of the tongue. And reading the book of Proverbs also convinces us that our speech is a, is a serious source of sin and, and potential for unrighteousness, something that must be um, guarded and controlled and, and restrained. Now, Jesus' focus here is more particularly on what we would call oaths and vows. And by the time that we get to his conclusion, 
it's apparent that he's aiming more at, at just the normal speech of his followers. And so we're going to look at this as one paragraph here, verses 33 to 37, where Jesus talks about our speech being yes and no. So let's start with verse number 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. So now we have the fourth of the six contrasts here in, in chapter number five, and we have this familiar formula referring to what the generation of Israel received who received the old covenant law. Now, this is a case where we have a quote, and this quote from the um, Old Covenant law is something of a, a mashup, if you will, of different verses. So there's a, a few verses that, that express um, the things that are being said here, like Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12 that reads, And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Or Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. So what we have here in, in this particular verse is what we sometimes call a summary or a composite quote, where we don't have a single verse um, that says this exactly, um, but you put a few verses together and, and uh, maybe even a little bit of paraphrase and, and you get um, the, the truth of the statement um, that comes from it. And, and this happens um, quite a bit, actually, um, in other places in the New Testament particularly as well. So this is a, a summary quote, essentially, of, of what the Old Covenant law taught, though it's not a word-for-word -word expression from the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is referring here to oaths and to vows, and we saw a number of those verses that we just read a, a moment ago, um, forswearing. He says, thou shalt not forswear thyself. Forswearing meant to swear falsely. Now, swearing that he's talking about here is not the um, use of, of objectionable language or cursing or profanity or anything like that. The swearing that he's talking about here had to do with the swearing of solemn statements. So swearing was essentially using an oath to affirm the truthfulness, to affirm the credibility of what was said. And we can actually find some positive examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament um, of where there was an, an oath that was taken, where there was a swearing that was taken. Um, one comes to mind, I don't remember the reference right off the top of my head, but um, Paul said, said something about, I, I say the truth in, in Christ, I lie not, my conscience bearing me witness. Um, that is, that's a form of swearing that would be um, spoken of here. Uh, swearing would also be something that would be um, done with, when entering into a contract of, of some sort. It could be done when it was 
Um, even when it was giving witness or testimony in, in some sort of a trial. Um, and, and we even used that phrase. I assume that we still use that phrase in courts today where people are sworn in to give um, official testimony. And, of course, we have um, penalties for perjury if you are giving sworn testimony and you, um, you know, deliberately lie, and that is, is shown to be true, then there are penalties for that sort of thing. So there are a number of different ways of, of which that swearing could um, take place. Um, and vows, uh, the using of oaths and vows, vows could also be used to affirm truthfulness or credibility. And that's essentially what, what, um, sw- what swearing an oath would do. You know, I, I, I speak the truth before God, or I call God as my witness that what I'm saying is true. It's that, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's an affirmation of truthfulness or credibility of a person. Of course, vows also can extend to other things, such as like a Nazarite vow. Um, that would be some sort of a temporary vow where there would be um, the following of, of the Nazarite vow and the um, abstinence of anything grown on the vine and cutting the hair and, and, and that sort of thing. And usually once that was fulfilled, certain offerings were made and then um, all the hair was shaved off and all, all that sort of thing. Um, so there were those kind of vows as well in the Old Covenant. Now, particularly when we read the verse there in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and um, verse number 22, but if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. And in other words, these vows were not required by the Old Covenant law but we could say they were regulated by the Old Covenant law. So you weren't required to enter in to these vows, but if such a vow was made, it was a sin to fail to keep it. And so you have um, places like Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 5 that Solomon wrote later when he said, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. So essentially, the Old Covenant said um, that if you're going to vow, then you, you need to keep it. You need to pay the vow or, or um, whatever the, the vow was pertaining to. And so from the verses that follow, though, as, as you come here in, in Matthew 5 and you're looking beyond uh, verses 34 to 37, from what follows, it's clear that Jesus is focusing on the use of oaths in common speech. That is, is really the concern. So he's not thinking about making a vow, for instance, like a wedding vow. Um, he's not thinking about, or he's not talking about um, giving legal testimony or some sort of official contracts or, or those sort of things, but is more concerned with the use of, of these vows and oaths in common speech. And that's, that's apparent, again, from these verses that follow that we're getting ready to um, look at. So let's look at verse number 34 now. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So now Jesus legislates that we free our speech from the use of oaths and vows. And, and another way to think about it would be the use of hedging language, um, the use of, of maybe crutch language. Um, in, in other words, using language that 
um, could be uh, ambiguous deliberately. In other words, we, we are providing ourselves with, with loopholes and wiggle room and, and all, of, all of that sort of thing. Um, something that was common in, in practice in the day, particularly as, as he refers to these four different common oaths. So using ambiguous language to our advantage, using ambiguous language to be evasive or to manipulate others in order to get something that we want, and to be so untrustworthy as to require the extra confirmation to the truthfulness of the words. And so some might say, you know, I swear by heaven that um, I'm, I will do this, or um, what I'm telling you is true, um, or, or any, anything like that. These four common oaths and means of swearing, swearing by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem um, or even by your own head. So these, these four were um, common oaths and, and common speech in that day. And what you notice about them is that they all stop short of invoking God's name. They stop short of saying something like, I call God to, to, to my witness that I'm going to do such and such, or what I'm saying is true. They, they stop short of that. Um, swearing on heaven, swearing by the earth, swearing by the city of Jerusalem, swearing by the gold of the temple, which is something we'll see Jesus referring to uh, much later in, in Matthew's gospel. That was a common practice as well. So they stop just short of invoking God's name in the oath. And the idea was that if, if the speaker didn't invoke God's name in the oath, that ultimately he wasn't held accountable to the truthfulness or the trustworthiness in keeping promises. So in other words, you, you could swear by all kinds of things, but if you actually swore by God's name, well, then you, 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 know, you had to actually keep it or you were liable to you know, some curse or what have you, um, some judgment, if you, if you did not. Now, again, Jesus is going to address some specific instances with the Pharisees and, and this um, later. That's in Matthew chapter 23. So we've got a, a, while, a little while before we get there. Um, but but these, this was a common practice and a common occurrence. So Jesus says, don't, don't swear at all. Don't use these oaths in your language at all. And don't swear by heaven, for instance. He says, because it is God's throne. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot affirm the truthfulness of your statement on heaven because you don't control heaven. You don't control what happens with heaven. And also, you're not off the hook for not invoking God because he is the creator and the ruler of heaven. And so really, you're, you're just playing a little word game and God is in no way fooled by such a little game with words. Now he's going to proceed through this list of, of common oaths. He says in verse 35, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of the great king. Well, the, the earth, he says, is God's footstool. That's, a, that's the expression of an image of being under the feet or under the reign of a superior. And Jesus is referring to the fact that the earth is the Lord's. It's, it's his by creation. It is, it is his by um, ownership. It is his by, um, by the, the rule that he bears over it. It belongs to him. So in other words, you're, you're essentially um, swearing by something that you have no part in. You have no ownership over. You have no control over. Um, and, and again, though you stop short of using God's name, ultimately... God owns it all. He is, the, he is the creator of it. And so you're, you're still ultimately going to end up to be swearing by the owner of these things. Jerusalem being the, the next one. Neither by Jerusalem, he says, for it is the city of the great king. The city of the king, the Messiah, the, the Davidic king who restores Jerusalem in his reign. So once again, you, you cannot control Jerusalem, you cannot control whether Jerusalem stands or falls. How can you swear by Jerusalem? And that's, that's particularly poignant when you think about the fact that Jesus is speaking this around about 40 years before Jerusalem did fall. And so he's, he's essentially saying, you, you, this, you, know, you have no control over that. You have no effect over that. You can't affirm your own words by that because you don't know whether Jerusalem will stand or fall. And then he says in verse 36, Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Now ultimately what Jesus is referring to here is the fact that really even our own heads are not in our control. You know, we can't make ourselves taller. We can't make ourselves shorter. And even if we think about all of our modern technologies and modern uh, medical treatments and abilities, really we're, we're pretty limited of, of what we can do and the changes that we can affect. And, and we can't we can't simply, by thinking about it, uh, make our hair one color or the other, or maybe perhaps make our hair return um, or leave or whatever. Well, simply by thinking about these things, we can't affect that sort of, of change. Once again, it's something that we don't have control over. And if you think about um, Jesus' words a little later on, he's going to talk about how the, the hairs of your head are numbered and, and, and that sort of thing. So even we ourselves are God's creation. Even we ourselves are not the owners and rulers of ourselves. We belong to him. So our own heads are owned and ruled over by God. And we cannot control if we will be alive sometime in the future. Um, that you, you know, that your head will still be there. Uh, we can't control these things. So now we get to 
Jesus' conclusion that he's, that he's driving at. And he says in verse 37, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So now we have what we might call a, a positive summary command. Jesus started out, but I say unto you, swear not at all. And he says now, but let your communication be. Well, the word for communication that's used here, it, it just means speech or talk or um, your words. And what he's saying is to let yes mean yes and to let no mean no. So this speaks of, it speaks of, of simplicity of speech, of clarity of speech, of honesty of speech. Let, let, your, let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. We could say, mean what you say, and say what you mean without adding the hedging language, without um, being evasive or manipulative or um, ambiguous. In other words, we shouldn't deliberately make statements that may mean different things and doing so so that we can get out of obligation or accountability to others. Now, granted, there's always, um, there's always going to be the possibility of being misunderstood, and not only the possibility, but even the reality of being misunderstood. And sometimes uh, we may put things to someone in a, in a way that, that we can't even conceive of how they could possibly misunderstand what we're saying, and yet somehow they, they can come up with something else. Now, we're always going to have those sort of things. I mean, is this, there's always going to be trouble in, in communication in, in a fallen world. So Jesus is not saying here you need to learn to be uh, a perfect communicator, but what Jesus is talking about is, is doing those sort of things deliberately in order to mislead in order to um, remove yourself from accountability to allow yourself um, sort of the the loophole um, and such now it's it's not entirely clear as he says whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil now the word for evil that he uses here it could be a reference to the evil one, and it could be translated that way, and that would mean that it would be a reference to the devil, um, if that is the case. If that is the case, then you think about a passage like John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus says, essentially, that he's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And, and so uh, this warning would mean that hedging our language is the same as lying. And it's, and it's befitting of the children of the devil, but not the children of God. The children of God that Jesus spoke of, being the children of God in the Beatitudes. He's going to talk about being the children of God again uh, here in, in a little, a uh, few verses from, from here in, in the end of part of chapter number 5. And so it certainly would make 
um, a good contrast. Um, otherwise, it would seem that, that perhaps you could say anything more than that uh, may result in sin or may result in some sort of trouble. So it's not entirely um, clear which, which way is, is the indication, but it certainly does bring us to that, that key underlying fact that, it, that this sort of thing is deceptive. Now, again, being misunderstood is, is one thing, but speaking so as to intentionally be misunderstood is something else. When, when we use language and, and we are deliberately misleading someone to a wrong conclusion, then that is deceptive. That is lying, um, we can even say. So being salt and light doesn't come from deceptive speech. Now, I had an experience, uh, boy, this has been several, several years ago now when I, when I stopped to think about it. And I was working on a, on a project, and the project was one that was just fraught with all kinds of difficulties and, and seemed anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, schedules, all these things just kept on changing. And so I had the project manager, you know, asking me for, um, asking me for schedule updates and schedule updates, and, and um, we'd gone through a few different versions of, of the schedule because of different problems. And at one point he was, he was asking me, and I, I really was just unsure um, of what this date was going to be, and one of the things he said to me was, he said, he said, listen, he said, I need you to tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. What is, what is this schedule update? Now, I was kind of taken aback because I, I hadn't really thought about what, what we were talking I just hadn't really thought about it in those terms. And I thought, well, you know, this schedule is something that there's a lot of things that are outside of my control that, that keep affecting it is, you know, part of the problem. And um, but in, in terms of giving, you know, dates that were not met being lying or deceptive. And so these verses are something that, that actually uh, I, I did think about and did think through in, in that time and how that, how that um, in, our, in our speech that we need to be careful that we're not, you know, being... Um, ambiguous. We're not being misleading. We're certainly not intentionally trying to mislead or deceive someone. So again, being salt and light in this present world, that doesn't come from deceptive speech. And I once heard the statement that Christians are not called to a fair fight in this world. And it's a pretty good statement. Because on the one hand, as Christian people, we are called to honesty. We are called to righteousness in speech. Whereas unbelievers use all sorts of tactics. They use all sorts of tactics to evade, to mislead, to manipulate and and you can think of of unbelievers in in all kinds of different situations and and oftentimes you think of 
you know, the, these professors these days that, um, you know, stand before kids and, and uh, seek to convince them that there's, there's just no such thing as truth and there's no such thing as, as certainty, but yet we, we know for a fact that they don't live their lives that way. They can't live their lives that way. In fact, they um, depend very much on truthfulness in their contracts. They depend very much in truthfulness on, you know, when they get their paychecks and when they go and deposit a certain amount in the bank, that, that the bank has a view of, of truthfulness that says, you deposited this amount and this amount was credited to your account rather than saying, well, you deposited this amount, um, but, you know, from, from our perspective, um, you know, we viewed that as 50% of it. We, we put half of it in there. And we kept half of it. And, of course, there, you get into all of these, all of these kinds of, of things, and they, they cannot be kept to that standard. Well, again, as Christian people, we are called to honesty. We are called to righteousness in our speech. And the unbelievers of the, of the world are going to do just what we might expect unbelievers to do. And they use all sorts of, of tactics to evade and, and mislead and manipulate. But further... We also, when we think about our speech, we realize that, that we fail to love others as ourselves when we fail to be honest with them. I mean, we really do value truth. Again, this, and this comes down to just on a very practical level. We, I mean, no one wants to be lied to and we certainly don't want to be lied about, but we don't want to be lied to. And so if we are going to love others as ourselves or treat them as, as we ourselves would like to be treated, then we are certainly going to have to present truthfulness and righteousness in our communications. So once again, Jesus calls us to righteousness in our relationships with others that we speak um, simple truth that we don't disguise our language in oaths and vows and other types of hedges our trustworthiness should come from our simplicity of speech and faithfulness to what we say and again there's always going to be cases where um, we are misunderstood. There's always going to be cases where uh, maybe we don't put something um, in the most clear way possible. Um, I mean, we're always going to have those sorts of situations, but what Jesus is, is talking about here is that what is the intention? Are we intentionally trying to mislead? Are we intentionally trying to remove ourselves from accountability, give ourselves that, that loophole that, that, we, that we don't have to um, keep our word, and so on.